It's awesome. Well, good morning, Brookside. Hope you're having a good weekend. I, I know John mentioned this, but I, I too just want to say, if you're a guest here with us today, um, welcome. It's, uh, it's really great to have you here, and um, yeah, we're privileged that you would, would be here with us. Well, this morning, we're going to continue on in our, our series uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we'll be uh, back in, in Matthew uh, chapter 5, and our subject for this morning is the topic of adultery. And Pastor Steve mentioned this last weekend, but I just wanted to, to mention it again. If you have younger children, and uh, you would rather, uh, with the topic in mind, you would rather take your children to our children's programming this morning, um, I just want to uh, tell you that that's totally fine. Um, we would uh, encourage you to do that if, if you wish. Um, totally your call, though. You may have children that you feel like are at an age and a maturity that you actually want them here, and that's, that's fine as well, but I did want to mention that to you. Well, two years ago to the month of October... Um, I told you about an adventure that our family had recently experienced. Uh, we decided to go to Hitchcock Park, which is a park that's just on the, the, the north side of Omaha. And uh, we decided to go hiking at this park. It's a great little park. And, and we headed down this particular trail with no real agenda, just our, our whole family. And we were looking forward to just a great day, um, being together and enjoying this beautiful forest. And, and uh, it was great. About an hour into the, the, the trip, though, we, we came to a fork in the, in the trail, and uh, we had a decision to make. Either we would turn left and we would go down the route that we thought would probably eventually take us back to our, our car, or we would turn around and we would go up this long hill that we had just come down. Well, we thought we would go with the hopeful route, and uh, we turned left, and uh, we began going down the trail. But several minutes later, um, now carrying my three-year-old daughter, who was getting really tired, and... Looking back and seeing Christina still holding our just two-month-old son who was continually crying, and then looking at our five-year-old son who was laying in the trail uh, because he was so tired, I knew that at that point, uh, we both knew, we had a, a bit of a problem on our hands. We knew that we probably weren't in line now for the Parent of the Year Award, right? And as it got colder and as the sun began to set more quickly, so it seemed, and as the baby began to cry more, and the five-year-old struggled more, and the three-year-old felt a little heavier, it appeared as though we might be either making the news or we were going to make a family memory we would never forget, right? <laughs> you and I today, I think it's very true that on the topic of human sexuality, you and I live in a culture that's completely lost. In our day, there's more confusion, there's more pain. There's more exploitation on the topic and in the matters of sexuality than ever before, perhaps in all of human history. The effects of how our society views sexuality is wreaking havoc on countless lives. On this issue, our culture is aimlessly and destructively roaming about. This past weekend, our family went back to Hitchcock Park. This time, we stopped at the information board. And we looked at it and we smiled at each other and we said, we should get a map. And so we got a map, right? <laughs> and I got to tell you, our experience this last weekend was quite different than the previous. It was peaceful, minus the crying baby that turned into a crying two-year-old. But it was, it was fun. We knew where we were. We knew where we were going. We knew how to get back to the car. We enjoyed the trails as they were designed and as the park was designed to be enjoyed. Getting the map was a good move. 
Today as we approach this topic, I want you to find great comfort and great confidence in the fact that Jesus was not looking at us, his children, his listeners, in such a way that he said, hey, just go roam around and figure this thing out on your own. As it concerned this particular topic, Jesus didn't have that approach at all. Good luck. Wash my hands of you. No, no, not at all. Rather, our creator, the one who would suffer for us, we're going to find this morning that his words are loving. We're going to find that his words are very clear. And I think most of all, we're going to see in this text that the words of Jesus Christ throughout the scriptures, we find this, his words are liberating. As I prepared this week, the reality of how far-reaching and how important this subject is, it hit me time and time again. This subject, it impacts everybody. It impacts the old, it impacts the young. I I can't tell you how many times I've been meeting with someone and and this person has a genuine desire to walk with Jesus Christ. They really want to honor God with their life. But then they begin to, to talk about how a sexual sin has a grip on their heart that's debilitating to them. They feel stuck. They feel frustrated. They feel trapped. Maybe that's how you feel this morning. I've been asking God this week to do a redeeming work in our church. The kind of work that really only God can do. If you know the character of Jesus, you know this is true. You know that Jesus loves to extend grace. Jesus loves to bring renewal. Jesus loves to bring a a new start, a better way. And so on that note, as we Look at at Matthew chapter 5. Would you pray with me? And and let's just ask God for that this morning. Let's ask God to do a unique work in our church this morning. So, yeah, let's pray together. Lord, first I just want to thank you that you are the kind of God that we can approach this morning. That you love us. You don't long to constrain us. You long to free us. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning. We just ask, Lord, that you would fill us. Think of Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Lord, we pray this morning that we would be filled. We pray this morning that, Lord, as your word is spoken, we pray that it would land on soft hearts. And so we just want to say to you right now, Lord, soften my heart. And maybe even say to, to the Lord on your own now, right now in this moment, just say, Lord, my heart is open to you. Go ahead and just have a conversation with God. Lord, my heart. My heart is open to you. Lord, we love you and and, um, so grateful we can trust you. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's jump into this text. Um, The scene is this, Matthew chapter 5. The scene of Jesus is he's sharing with this crowd of of people. And they no doubt are, are the kind of crowd like any crowd, that can really relate to what he is saying. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Now Jesus is right away, he's referring back to the Ten Commandments. He's starting, he's laying the groundwork for what they already know. That's his starting place. What they already know about, what they've already heard. But then he, he continues, Jesus speaking again in verse 28, he says, But I tell you, Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That sounds a little bit extreme, don't you think? I mean, Jesus is really raising the bar here. He's sitting with his disciples, uh, the group that would carry out the message of the gospel. The group that would tell people about the love and the grace of God. He's sitting with them, but he's also, there's a crowd. There's people that are listening in. There's people that probably had questions about who he was. 
They were kind of seeking him out. Well, what's this guy all about? He takes the teaching on adultery to a whole new level of understanding. Most in the crowd would have thought, okay, if, if my spouse sleeps with another person, that's, that's adultery. But Jesus digs much deeper. Notice where Jesus enters in the, into the topic. It's at the point of the look. Not the first phone call, not the first email, not the first lingering handshake or the long hug. No, no, no. Jesus goes all the way back to the look. Whoever looks at a woman lustfully. Now, I think I need to clarify something here. Is it wrong, let me ask you the question, is it wrong to notice someone's beauty? Is that sinful? No, the answer is no. Jesus didn't say, hey, I would like you to walk around for the rest of your life with horse blinders on your eyes, did he? Though that might be helpful sometimes. <laughs> he said this. He said, don't look at a woman lustfully or, some translations would say this, with lustful intent. Uh, don't take a second or a third or a fourth look. On the emotional side, and this likely applies more to the ladies, don't fantasize about the relationship that you wish you had. If only my husband was as, as romantic as Pastor Steve or Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> One or the other, right? Jesus, get this, Jesus knew that there was danger there. Martin Luther said this. He said, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head or landing on it, but you can stop it from building a nest in your hair. That's pretty insightful, isn't it? You may remember a parent or a teacher saying to you when you were younger, or maybe your spouse recently, little Billy, you can't just say the first thing that comes to mind. You have to think before you speak. In this passage, Jesus is saying, think before you look. Whoever looks at a woman lustfully commits adultery in their heart. Finish that sentence with me. Think before you look, yeah. Now remember this, Jesus knows that there is a lot more at stake than just a lustful glance. This morning we're going to take a look at two different questions that will direct our thoughts if in fact we will be the kind of people that will think before we look. But first, notice the last part of verse 28. Perhaps this is the most important part of this verse, how it ends. Look with me at, at the ending of it. It says, whoever looks at a woman lustfully commits adultery in their heart. Now, if you know anything about the teachings of Jesus, if you've studied what, the, what Jesus taught, if you've looked at the scriptures, you know that Jesus doesn't have much patience or much interest in things that are superficial. But Jesus is always going to the heart because he knows that the matters of the heart are most important. And here is why. Jesus knows this. So goes the heart, so goes the man or the woman. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says this, Above all else, it says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Meaning sex is more than physical. Pornography is more than just looking at unclothed bodies. In Jesus' economy, if you lose the battle of the heart, you lose the battle. And so Jesus, we see this throughout the scriptures, Jesus fights for our hearts. 
Jesus makes it clear, think before you look, because when you look at a person lustfully, it's not a small thing. No, 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 no. It's a matter of the heart. Let's keep going. Look with me at verse 29. Jesus writes, he says, If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. (laughs) Not a real encouraging word from Jesus there, is it? I mean, if your eye causes you to sin, lose it. Gouge it out. Be done with your eye. He goes further, verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. To say that Jesus' language here is strong seems to be a bit of an understatement. There's some severe shock value going on. You might remember the story of this guy named Aaron Ralston. In 2003, Aaron was climbing, rock climbing in eastern Utah, and he got trapped by a boulder on his arm for five days and seven hours. This picture was taken as he's trapped there during those five days. Now, with a dull multi-tool, not a knife, with a dull multi-tool, he amputated his right arm in order to free himself and survive. Now, whether we like it or not, this is the picture that Jesus paints because our hearts and our souls are on the line. And as disturbing as this sounds, this wasn't the only time that Jesus spoke like this. If we continue on in the, in, the, in the book of Matthew, we get to chapter 18. Jesus says almost the exact same words, almost the exact same description, get this, to the same group of people, just a different occasion. He says it again. Don Everts reflects on Jesus' words by, by saying this. I find genuine discomfort in his simple, graphic, repeating images. They haunt me, and perhaps that's precisely what Jesus intended. Sin is serious. Jesus may not have been teaching us to pluck out our eyes literally, but he was definitely teaching us to take sin seriously, very seriously. These images must have shocked and disturbed the disciples just as they do us. Their gore was not a mistake. It was a wake-up call, a perspective check that leaves us reeling today just as it must have left his disciples every time he spoke these words to them. Now, I want to take a quick time out here because for some of you, you're hearing these words perhaps and and you're thinking to yourself, wow, that is exactly what I thought the Bible's take would be on sexuality. I thought that the Bible, I kind of assumed that Jesus and, and Christ followers, I thought that the Bible's view of sexuality would be negative. Please know this. If we took the time this morning to look at different verses throughout the Bible dealing with men and women and their intimate relationship, we would all blush and we would also all wonder what book we were reading from. Yeah, God created sex to be enjoyed so much more than just something physical. Tim Keller said it this way, a highly respected pastor. He said, the Bible is filled with bare-faced, exuberant rejoicing in the glory of sexual love There is no way that you can get out of the Bible a negative view of sex. Jesus isn't the least bit against sexuality. He authored it. Yet out of love, he wants his listeners to know that outside the bounds where he designed it to be, outside the covenant that he called marriage, it's deadly to the soul. It's not a light matter. That's why he's extreme. 
Let me give you two things, two questions that drive home the reason why Jesus would have us think before we look. If you think before you look, number one, think about this. Think about how Jesus sees other people. This will change a lot of the issues I think that we face in our life if we would really do this. Question for the guys. Would we look at a woman, at women, any differently if when we looked at them, you and I thought to ourselves that that is one of God's daughters? I have a beautiful four-year-old daughter. And when I think about how I love her, when I think about how I desire to care for her and protect her, when I think about what I'm going to put the first scumbag boy through who comes along, <laughs> when I think about how sometimes I say yes to her just because she's so darn cute, right? When I think about the fact that she is my daughter, it's a big deal to me. Think about this for a second. Guys, would we look at women any differently if we said, that's one of God's girls. That's one of God's daughters. Know this, there is a life, there is a story, a real person, a son or a daughter behind every image of pornography. Every image. There's a real story. There's a real son behind that, a real daughter. I saw a gal at the gym this week that was dressed pretty provocatively and she was listening to some music while she was working out, and so between sets, she was kind of dancing, you know, really getting into it in her own little world. And, and as I noticed her, I was thinking about this message, so my first thought was, get behind me, Satan, you know. <laughs> but, then I, but then as I reflected on it, I, I wondered. I wondered, what if my first thought was, wow, that's, that's one of God's daughters. What does God want me to think right now? What does God want me to do? 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, Paul gives this instruction. He says, treat younger men as, as, as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. And here it is, with absolute purity. Men, the next time you're surfing the web on your phone or you're, you're sitting behind your computer, when you've got a decision to make, put to memory a verse like this. This is, this is application from this sermon. Here it is. Put to memory a verse like what Job said in Job 31, verse 1. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. I made a covenant with my eyes. I see that. Oop, I made a covenant with my eyes. Uh -uh. If we think before we look, we see people as Jesus sees them. This week, I asked some, some women to give me some perspective to help me out and from their vantage point. And one of the struggle, struggles that was mentioned that women deal with is that a woman lots of times will desire to look lovely, to be, to be noticed, to be attractive, to be beautiful. I think it's a shame that lust takes a daughter of God to the level of an object. It's dehumanizing. The teachings of Jesus fly in the face of degrading women. And for that matter, degrading men. Women, don't lose sight of the fact that you have been wonderfully made. Psalm 139, you have been wonderfully made by your heavenly Father. You are beloved. You are his beloved creation. It doesn't matter what someone told you. It doesn't matter even what you feel. That's the truth. Let me ask you a question. If you truly believe that, would it alter where you look for approval? Would it alter how you might even seek to, to get that approval? Let's keep going. If you and I, if we think before we look, number two, 
If you think before you look, think about how it will play out in your relationships. Consider first your relationship with God. I asked our our senior high pastor this week, uh, Brad Zook, I said, Brad, would you agree with me that sexual sin is the leading issue that inhibits students from having a walk with Jesus Christ? He said, without hesitation, he said, most definitely. He sees it all the time. The pornography industry is not only seeking or wreaking havoc on countless numbers of lives, but to say it's a huge roadblock in many people's pursuit of Jesus Christ is a complete understatement. Statistically, get this, 93% of boys and 62% of girls are exposed to internet pornography before the age of 18. It's not just a male issue anymore. That group of girls is the fastest growing group of those that are getting involved in pornography these days. It's a change. The average age for first exposure is 11 years old. The largest consumer of internet pornography is the age group between 12 and 17 years of age. Get this, year in and year out, the pornography industry takes in more revenue than the combined revenues of professional baseball, professional football, and professional basketball. Combined revenues. It's mind-boggling. A former youth pastor recently commented on how he could never get parents to believe that their child wouldn't be the exception to the statistic. He said, I always hear parents say, my child, they don't struggle with that. It won't be an issue for them. Let me just ask you a question. Parents, would you fill a closet? Would you fill a closet in your home full of hundreds and hundreds of pornographic magazines? Would you shut the doors to the closet, but would you not lock it? No, no, none of you would do that. How about this? Would you put um, a, a suitcase in the hand of your son or your daughter full of pornographic magazines as they walk out your house each day? Absolutely not. But whether it's a computer at home or whether it's a phone in the pocket, unprotected internet is a welcome mat these days for pornography. Students used to have to search it out. People used to have to search out pornography. That's not the case anymore. Pornography searches us out. Parents, do you have safeguards in place? I guarantee you this. 20 years from now, your son or your daughter will thank you Imagine them having victory in this area. Help them be the exception. Think about other relationships. Let me give you an example. I I heard this framed this way, and it was so helpful to me. Sex outside of marriage is sex with a consumer mindset. It's being completely open on a physical front, but not completely open on the committed front or all around. The level of commitment doesn't match up with the level of heart exposure. At the end of the day, in a consumer relationship, the most important person is is me. What's in it for me? On the other hand, marriage, as God created it, clear back in Genesis 2, and we see it throughout the Scriptures, when God created marriage in in a covenant relationship, He said, oh, this is a totally different kind of, of relationship. In a covenant relationship, people say this, I will adjust to you, Because the relationship is most important, not just me, not just my needs. There is a depth of relationship in the covenant of marriage that is very unique. It's a relationship where you you stand before a group of people and you say, before God and these witnesses, I commit to you. There's something there. It's not just, oh, whatever we feel like. No, 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 there's commitment there. It's a big deal. 
Research is showing, secular research is showing that honoring God before marriage pays off. Statistically, this is in the Wall Street Journal. I had an article about this. Statistically, cohabitating couples are more likely to be divorced than those who didn't live together before they were married. Parenting is another. It's a, another covenant relationship. If parents are more concerned about getting from their children than giving, there wouldn't be many parents. Can I get an amen from the parents, right? A covenant relationship says this. The relationship is most important. And because the relationship is most important, I'm willing to come alongside it with commitment. When you think before you look, consider what adultery does to marriage. Jesus had something to say about that. If you continue on in this passage, you read verses 31 and 32, you can see where adultery can lead to lead in the context of marriage. I want to end with this this morning. You know the story of, of King David, perhaps. If you know anything about him, you know that David was known. I mean, he's a hero of the, the Christian faith. David was known as a man who was, who was said to be after God's own heart. Yet David found himself in a place of compromise, and there was a woman, a beautiful woman, that caught his eye, and the look for David led him down a path that led him into a relationship with a woman that wasn't his wife. And if you read Psalm 51, I'd encourage you to do that. Read Psalm 51. David writes this psalm as he is feeling the weight of his sin. It's his lament for his committing adultery. But what I love about that psalm and what I think we can really learn from it this morning is that in the midst of the psalm, you can tell very clearly David is running to God for deliverance. He's not messing around. You know, many of you have been listening to this message and you've heard me say over and over again, think before you look. And you've thought to yourself perhaps, yeah, there's some people that that might apply to. It's a church crowd, probably a lot of people that might apply to, but you're thinking of yourself I'm well beyond that. I'm well beyond lustful intent. Know this, Jesus sets forth in this passage what the ideal is. He really, he gives us some guardrails and he says, hey, I don't want you to go, I don't want you to go off the cliff. There's there's harm over there, so let me give you some rails. But also in giving us some guardrails, Jesus, what does he do? He sets the bar very high and he puts those, the number of people in the guilty category is very, very high. I raise my hand in the way that Jesus describes it. The instruction that Jesus gives here causes us all to see our need for Jesus Christ. It levels the playing field. It makes us cry out to God, guilty. Lord, I am in need of you. I am in need of your forgiveness and your grace. Romans chapter 3, the apostle Paul makes it clear that we are all equally in need of Jesus Christ. Look at this with me. He writes, There is no difference, and in that context, he's talking about there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference between different groups of people. There's not a group of people that are more holy. There's not a group of people that are without sin. He says there's no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely, meaning they're this, meaning they're made right They're made right by his grace. They're justified freely by his grace. Here it is, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Don't leave this text this morning thinking to yourself, if only I would try harder. 
If only I would try harder. Leave this text thinking this. I've got to run to Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, I, 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 I won't have victory in this area. I've got to run to Jesus Christ. He alone is the one that I run to. You know, if you came in here this morning and as I unpack this topic, you, you clearly understand what temptation is, but you would say today, you're experiencing victory. And you would say, wow, I, I'm experiencing the goodness of the grace of God. My encouragement to you this morning is this. Would you thank God for that? Would you not leave here without also proclaiming, God, I still need you to come through daily for me on this one. Lord, would you provide me with ongoing grace, with ongoing mercy in this area? If sexual immorality for you today, you'd say, it's controlling your life. Would you run to Jesus this morning? And would you cry out for his forgiveness? Know this about Jesus Christ. This is his character. He loves to give forgiveness. He doesn't hold it back. No, no, no. You approach him with that, he will gladly give it to you. Would you run to him? Would you say, Lord, I am, on, I am in need of a different path. Lord, I'm coming to you. He will provide for you. But then very practically, would you do some smart things? Would you get in a life group? Get, get, get around some other guys. Get around some other gals. Would you maybe contact myself or other staff and get some resources that might be helpful to you? Would you put up some safeguards, just some common sense safeguards? How about this? Would you commit to memory Job 31.1 so that when you look at a woman, you can say, no, no, no. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a, at a girl lustfully, not to look lustfully at a girl. This guy was telling me this week that he loves Sports Illustrated. You know, he gets that magazine and he said, but I have to be in the habit every year when the swimsuit issue comes. He said, I just got a habit. I just walk. I don't, it doesn't go, in the, doesn't go in the door. It just goes right to the garbage in the garage, right? But here's the deal. He's gotten smart. He's just said, okay, that's a safeguard. I got to ask you, if you're struggling, would you do the, just kind of the wise things? But also, most importantly, would you run to Jesus Christ this morning? My biggest fear for some of you is this, that you would walk away and you would say this, it's not that big a deal. The pastor got all excited. He must have had too much coffee. It's just not that big a deal. It's, not, it's, it's only affecting me. And this is my thing. I do it in secret. It, it's not a big deal. It's not affecting my wife. It's not affecting my children. Let me tell you something. It is affecting your wife. Men particularly that struggle with pornography, this applies for women too, they have a hard time engaging in the beautiful sexual relationship that God intended marriages to have to celebrate the covenant of marriage. They struggle in that area. It is affecting your wife. It is affecting your husband. And know this, it is affecting your children. It's affecting the legacy that you hope to leave one day with your life. Even bigger than that, it's, in fact, it's infecting your impact. You meet a guy that's really struggling in this area, and though he wants to honor God, though he wants to be used by God, it's like carrying a weight that's just too heavy. And know this, it is too heavy. And so this morning, I would beg you, would you go to Jesus Christ and would you find forgiveness and grace and mercy? I love how David, in the midst of the mess, I mean, David, he committed adultery. Man after God's own heart. There's hope in that, isn't there? But know this, Psalm 51 verse 17, David's reflecting on, okay, what does it mean to get right with God and everything? And he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Meaning this, don't leave here today and say, I will try harder. 
Leave here today, as David said, no, 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 the thing that God wants, the thing that God will honor, the thing that Jesus died for is a broken and contrite spirit. That God, he will not despise that. He will welcome that. Let's do this as we close. Let's just pray together. And let's just ask God to uh, really to be our rock in a, a tough, a tough issue. So let's pray. Lord, we come to you. And um, Lord, I first, I think of the students in the crowd. And um, God, we pray for our students. God, we pray for the students in our church. We pray, Lord, that you would allow them to be the exception. We pray that their passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ would shape their lives in such a way that they would, they would kind of fly over these issues. And Lord, I pray for those that are here today and they're stuck and they're students. God, I pray that you would help them to understand, whoa, this is going to impact me later. I pray that they would turn today. They would get help. Lord, I pray for the single that's here today and they so long to be married. And Lord, there's so many opportunities to compromise along the way. I pray that you would give them the strength to stay strong the, the wisdom to have accountability in their life. And then, Lord, I pray for those here today that are married. And, and they're thinking to themselves, wow, if I confess, if I, if I get this out there, I'm in, I'm in some serious trouble. And, Lord, I just would pray that they would look beyond that. I pray that they would look beyond the, the period of time that will be extremely difficult. But I pray that they would realize the depth of relationship and everything else that you have for them in the covenant of marriage. So God, would you give them courage today? And I pray for their spouse that they would greet them with grace. And I pray that they would walk through a process of renewal. Lord, do a great work in our church, we pray on this topic. Lord, we commit this time to you. And we pray, Lord, now that the words of this song would minister to our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.